This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Mark chapter 8, uh, we're going to start in verse number 34 this morning. Mark chapter 8, verse number 34. We're t- take a look at discipleship. We need to understand what discipleship is, uh, what it means to us, uh, who needs discipleship, uh, and all of those things this morning. Uh, Jesus sets the criteria very clearly on, on who can be a disciple of his. We're going to take a look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 8, uh, starting in verse number 34 this morning. When he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Uh, I was saved as a nine-year-old boy. I put my faith and trust in Christ. I grew up in church my entire life. But I can tell you this, I never started walking with Jesus until I was in my 20s. And you need to know the difference between just being a child of God and actually walking with Jesus. There's a big difference. And we're going to take a look at what that actually means uh, this morning to do that. And so uh, my wife had been saved as a teenager. And uh, by the time we got married, we were two uh, baby, baby Christians. We both knew that we were saved. We both knew that we were on our way to heaven. Outside of that, we didn't know a lot about anything. Uh, we didn't know the answers, much less even with the questions that we had uh, about the Bible. We got plugged into a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And let me just stop here for just a second and say, that's always critical. I don't care who you are or where you are. You need to be plugged into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church church uh, because our only hope for, for growth is the Bible, God's word. And so Angel and I were just trying to figure life out at the time. And again, uh, going through life, just trying the process of trial and error is a terrible way to go through life. Uh, I'm going to try this out for a bit and see if it works. If that doesn't, I want to bounce to the next thing and try that out. We need someone to guide us through this process of life. Thankfully, the church that we were in, the assistant pastor and his wife uh, had taken an interest in Angela and I and kind of taken us under their wing. Uh, they would have us in their home. They'd make dinner, and we'd, uh, we'd talk with them and ask just questions about the Bible and questions about the Christian life. Uh, we were both, uh, Angela and I, both being challenged in our faith to, to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, and we didn't really know what that meant. Uh, we were challenged to be in the Word on a regular basis, and as we read through the Bible, we had a lot of questions about the things that we were coming up against and we began to, to ask this, uh, this couple, Pat and Jane Smith, a lot of questions about life and questions about the Bible. What about this? And what about that? And what about this world religion? And, and, and do we really believe that there was an actual literal flood that wiped out the entire earth? Do we believe that? And why do we believe that? And they really just began to tell us what it meant to walk with Jesus, what it meant to spend time in the Word, what it meant to be a real deal Christian And we didn't understand it then, but uh, fast forward about 10 years later, we realized that that process of spending time with them and talking about the Bible and learning from them what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a word that we call discipleship. It, It wasn't a formalized program. We didn't have a book that we had. We didn't have a regular time that we met. It was just uh, week after week being challenged from the word asking questions, having an older Christian who's walked the path before us uh, lead us and guide us into what we should do. We had questions about parenting. We would ask them. We had questions about uh, marriage. We would ask them. We had questions about our faith. We would ask them, and they would always point us back to not what's worked for them, but they would always point us back to the Bible. And, oh, man, that, I'm telling you this, that literally changed my life. Changed my life. You're here today because Pat and Jane Smith took Anthony and Angela King under their wing and just poured their life into them. And we owe a debt of gratitude to this day uh, to the Smith family and the investment that they made in my life. But here's the thing. That relationship that we had was not unique to us. 
That's the process called discipleship that we find in the Bible, where one Christian takes their faith and passes it on to another, and then that person takes their faith and passes it on to another. The primary place for discipleship is primarily gonna be in your home. If, you have, if you're a, a husband, it's your responsibility to lead your wife in the Bible. You may say, well, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Great, now it's time to learn. Uh, you need to be the theologian for your home, men. Uh, that means you need to know the Bible like no one else. And again, if you're like me, you say, well, there's a lot of things I still need to know. Great, then you get to continue your process of discipleship. But I have to lead my wife in the word. That's what the Bible tells me I have to do. If you have children in your home, they need to learn the Bible from you. It's helpful that we have an amazing children's ministry program. I love our super church workers. We have our Awana program on Wednesday nights. I've even taught our Awana class over there for, for the boys sometimes. We teach them the Bible. That's helpful, but that's an augment to what you're already doing at home. We, we don't take the place of Christian education. That's your job. And so we just come alongside you and reinforce the things that hopefully you're teaching your children at home because discipleship, first and foremost, takes place in your own home. Second place that discipleship takes place is from the pulpit. As you come week by week, I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says and how you can walk with Jesus and be more committed in your relationship with him and what it looks like for us to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. So discipleship, first of all, takes place in the home. Secondly, it takes place in the pulpit. Thirdly, it takes place in a one-on-one relationship between you and another believer. For me, I'm still in the process of discipleship. It's, It's a lifelong journey that we're on. And I still have people that I spend time with, phone calls that I make to, to other Christian men, lunch appointments that I have with other guys that are a little bit further down the road in their faith than I am. And I ask a lot of questions and I wanna learn from them because this process of discipleship never ends. It's important to understand the distinction of disciples. Sometimes we say that Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus had more than 12 disciples. Jesus had 12 apostles and the apostolic work of healing and doing miracles and things like that was relegated to the apostles, but he had many committed followers who would have been disciples. So if you wanna make your brain fry, just remember this, uh, apostles were also disciples, but not all disciples were apostles. Does that make sense? All apostles were disciples, but not all disciples were apostles. So we are followers of Jesus Christ, committed followers, and that makes us a disciple, but you might not be a disciple because there's criteria that you have to meet to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is what we'll take a look at today. First and foremost, uh, we need to define our terms. First of all, a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is not someone who is uh, merely uh, a fan or merely someone who has, uh, you know, just on occasion comes to church from time to time. That's not a disciple. A disciple is a person who's committed their life to this. I am a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers. and We're having our best season in a decade. It's awesome. Uh, I love it. Uh, and there's a good possibility, I'm not gonna jinx anything, there's a good possibility we might make the playoffs. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be something? But let me tell you this. I'm not a disciple of the Lakers. And, and you want know, to be honest, I have, a, I have a super cool Lakers jacket that my family bought me for uh, Christmas one year. I've got a, a Lakers hat. I've even got a, one of those uh, Turvis tumblers with the Lakers logo in it. But honestly, if you offer me a million bucks right now to tell you the starting five for the Lakers, I couldn't do it. You know why? I don't have time to watch uh, basketball games. I don't have time to watch even highlight reels. Sometimes my son Vanderlei is like, oh, Dad, let's watch the highlights of this game. I don't have time to sit down and watch the highlights of a game. That's how, that's how crazy my life is. I'm a fan. If the Lakers are on, I'll watch them. Uh, if there's something that wants to be talked about, I'll enjoy the conversation. Now, you want to start talking about uh, back in the day of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Man, we could talk all day about that. But, but currently, I'm not really up on it. So I can't say that I'm a disciple of the Lakers. I'm more just like a casual fan. Unfortunately, we have many Christians who are not disciples of Christ. They're just kind of casual fans. Oh, they believe what Jesus said, but they're not really sure what he said. They believe in the teachings of Jesus, but they're not really sure what those teachings were. They believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They're just not sure how all that fits together, how all that works. They want to follow Jesus as long as it's convenient and can fit into the schedule and the criteria that they have. They're willing to follow Jesus. Friend, that's not a disciple. Jesus gives criteria for disciples, and that doesn't meet it. Now, the process of discipleship, on the other hand, is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. 
So disciple is a committed follower of Christ. Discipleship is the process of learning what it means to become a committed follower of Christ. This is a lifelong process. Uh, this is not something that we do once and it's over and done with. This is not something that we do a couple of times and, and we can check it off of our list. This is something that requires a lifelong commitment on our part. Now, here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, we have a discipleship program. It's a 14-week program that we call Continue. Uh, basically, what you do is you sit down with another Christian for 14 weeks, and you study through the major doctrines of the Bible. Uh, we talk about uh, why we need to be saved. We talk about who Jesus is. We talk about the attributes of God and the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. And you're partnered up with another Christian, and you sit down, and you go through this discipleship process together. And this person keeps you accountable. Make sure that you're in church every week and make sure that you're uh, memorizing your scripture you're supposed to. Uh, it's all self-guided and self-paced in the fact that uh, if you ever want to stop and ask questions, you've got time to stop and ask questions because it's not in a classroom environment. It's on a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And the idea is that the person leading you through this process is a little bit further down the road than you are. They've gone through some sort of discipleship process. They're a committed follower of Jesus Christ and they're gonna teach you how to be a committed follower of Christ. We have our discipleship kickoff on uh, February 5th coming up, uh, just a few weeks, uh, um, less than a month away. Uh, we'll have our discipleship kickoff. We meet on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're interested in that, but you can't make it on Wednesday nights, uh, let me know. We'll find somebody that can work with your schedule. But the idea is this. You sit down with another Christian and you learn the Bible together. And then at the end of this 14 weeks, the idea is after 14 weeks, you've already made several changes in your life. You're now fully committed to following Jesus Christ with your life. And then at the end of it, you get to take another person through the process as well. Uh, I had the opportunity to um, disciple uh, Anton and Min Smith and uh, took them through uh, our discipleship course. We had a lot of good discussions. We met uh, so many times. They had so many good questions that we talked about. Uh, at, when they were done, Anton had the opportunity to uh, disciple my son Vanderlei. Now, I could have done that, but I wanted another man in our church to invest in my son. And I was excited to see Anton take the things that we had talked about and the things he had learned from me and the changes that he had made in his own life and pass those on to my son. Man, what a, tr what a treat and a gift that was. It's also exciting for me to see men then disciple Carol Yen. Carol's the, the person that you see in the, the photo that's right there. Men had taken the things that she learned and the changes that Jesus had made in her life and she passed those on to Carol. And then Carol, when she was finished with discipleship, had the opportunity to uh, disciple Melissa, who's the person who's uh, back you see in the, the Navy sweater there. Melissa's with us here today, uh, visiting from college. Glad to have her back here at home. But then she took what she had learned and passed it on to Melissa. Now Melissa's gone off to college in Ohio, and she's taking the things that she's learned, and she's passing those on to other people, and she's investing them in her own life and the lives of others. This is the process of discipleship. This is, this is not, and some people look at this and go, wow, our church has a really great model for discipleship. Hey, this wasn't my idea. It's Jesus's idea. This is how the church has been since the beginning of the church. You take your faith, you pass it on to somebody else, and then they pass it on to another person. Some people have called it God's great pyramid scheme, right? I don't like the idea of it being a scheme, but it's the idea that basically you find somebody and you pass it on, and they find somebody and they pass it on, and we all do the work together. Can you imagine how long it would take if the pastor was responsible for discipling every single person in the church? It'd take forever. Oh, man. But the idea is we take what we have and pass it on to another person who then teaches someone else. That's the discipleship process. Now, most churches would say that they want to make disciples because it's important that we do that, and the Bible says that we should. But a lot of churches don't have a clear-cut way in which they make disciples, Hey, show up every Sunday and then we'll make you a disciple. It doesn't work that way. We need a, a process in place to make that happen. And unfortunately, many times we make disciples, but then those disciples uh, just commit to walking this path alone by themselves. But when we hit the next level, when we hit the biblical level of discipleship, we make disciple-making disciples. These are disciples. These are committed followers of Jesus Christ who have committed to walk this path and then bring another Christian with them on this journey together. Think of it this way. Uh, if salvation is the miracle of a moment, discipleship is a journey of a lifetime. And being a disciple-making disciple means bringing someone along with you on this journey. Now, there's not a single person in our church that's perfect, myself included, but we're figuring this thing out together. We're learning what it means to walk with Jesus together. We're, we're trying to be more like Christ every single day together. And if discipleship is a journey, the goal, the destination, the end of the road is Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. That's where this whole thing's headed. 
And the great part about being a part of a church like this is every one of us is on that journey somewhere, sometimes at a different place on the journey, and we get to grow together because we're all headed the same direction, and we get to learn from one another. And here's the great part about the discipleship journey, and again, it's a lifelong journey. If we're doing it together, from time to time, if you see somebody broke down on the side of the road, you get to stop and pull over for a minute, ask them to hop in the car with you and take them along with you on the journey. That's what the idea of discipleship is. But we don't ever get to the point where we're done with discipleship. Pat and Jane Smith kicked off something in my life and Angela's life that, that uh, it's a journey that we're still on. I'm still learning what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. My goal in 2020 is still to be more like Jesus than I was last year. It's a process, it takes time, but Jesus tells us how to do it. Discipleship isn't a self-guided or self-taught journey. Uh, the book that we use, the, the Continued Discipleship Course, uh, how many folks in here uh, have been through our discipleship program? Raise your hand if, you, if, you've, if you've started or finished it or completed it. Great. Uh, keep your hands up. How many people have taught someone in our discipleship program as well? Keep your hands up. Good. So that's a good, good percentage of our, our folks have either been through the program or have taught another person in the program as well. Here's the thing. It's not a self-guided journey. Uh, the books that we have, the continued discipleship course that we use, huh, I hate to tell people this, and if you're in discipleship, I'm going to let you in on a secret. All of the answers to the fill-in-the-blank questions, they're all in the back of the book. I always wondered, like, in high school, like, why do they give you the math problems if the answers are in the back of the book? And then they say, show your work, right? Oh, that was so frustrating. Here's the thing about discipleship. It's not about filling in blanks in a book. We're going to ask you to show your work. I'm not interested in can you fill in blanks. I'm interested in can you be like Jesus. And so discipleship course that we have, if we're thinking of the idea of it being a journey that we're on of, of following after Christ's likeness, our discipleship course is just the on-ramp. This is just getting you on the road so that you have the tools and resources you need to complete the journey with joy. This is just an on-ramp. It's not the end. Uh, when we have folks that complete our discipleship program, we bring them up to the front. Uh, we have a word of prayer for them. We clap. We give them a certificate. We never, ever, ever say, congratulations, Bob is now a disciple. No, no, no. That's a lifelong process. That's going to take day after day of commitment to Jesus Christ. But that's what we're after. Again, salvation's the miracle of a moment, but discipleship's the journey of a lifetime. It takes... That much time for a person to be saved, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it takes the rest of your life to walk with Jesus. And again, we'll never reach perfection. We'll never be perfect. But the idea of discipleship is this. I'm closer to Christ's likeness than I was this time last year. I'm closer to Christ's likeness than I was five years ago. When I look back at the things that were in my life 10 years ago, sometimes I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I, um, one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, I, I completely and totally disconnected from social media last year. Uh, all of, of 2019, I did not look at Facebook. I did not look at Instagram other than posting stuff for our church. Uh, I, I didn't get on any of those platforms at all, and it helped my life immensely. But sometimes when you log into your account, the very first thing there is, hey, here's a reminder from what you posted five years ago. It's almost embarrassing the things that you posted five years ago. You think, did anybody really care what I thought about that? Did anybody really care what I thought about the refs at the, the Lakers game 10 years ago? Did anybody really care that I was pulling for this team on such and such? Did anybody really care? It's almost embarrassing to look back. Sometimes in the Christian life, it's almost embarrassing to look back at the things that I thought were Christ-like. It's almost embarrassing to look back at behavior that I thought would have been acceptable to Christ. And unless we get all proud and high and mighty at the progress, we need to remember that we've still got a long ways to go. I haven't yet arrived. I'm not where I need to be yet. I still need to be more Christ-like in the year ahead. That's the end goal. Now, discipleship is driven by our mission as our church. The mission of our church in any New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church will be the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world, amen. We call that the Great Commission. If you wanna break it down into four main parts, it goes like this, go, win, baptize, teach. Very simple, that's the Great Commission. 
So we go into our neighborhood and we go into all the world to tell people about Jesus every single week of the world. Uh, that's what we do. We go. We tell people about Jesus Christ. We share the gospel with them, the best news they'll ever hear in their entire life of how they can know Jesus Christ as Savior, how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven. And we try to win them to Jesus Christ. Then after they have made a commitment to accept Christ as Savior, we encourage them to be baptized. Baptism in the Bible always takes place by immersion after salvation. So once you get saved, then you can be baptized. That's why we don't baptize babies because you never find a place in the Bible where any babies are baptized. We baptize believers because that's what takes place in the Bible. So after you've been saved, then you can be baptized. But here's the most important part of all of it. After that's completed, now we need to teach you to observe what? All things that Jesus commanded. Okay, great. How long does it take? 14 weeks? Nope, rest of your life. It's not not a quick fix. But it's part of the mission of the church. It's why we do what we do. We don't just have discipleship because we think it would be cool if people knew more about the Bible. Uh, we don't have discipleship because we need something to fill in on Wednesday nights and more activities for people to do. We have discipleship because it's a biblical command from Jesus himself to teach everybody what the Bible says. And so that's why we do what we do. Go and baptize, teach the uh, teach portion is fulfilling the Great Commission. Therefore, we have discipleship. Now, jumping into our text that we looked at this morning in Mark chapter 8. Take a look at verse number 34. He says, when he called his his people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We see, first of all, the discipleship doesn't happen by accident. Jesus says this, if anybody's going to come after me, you got to come after Jesus first. You gotta make a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, if you do, here's the criteria for it. Here's the qualifications for it. But it doesn't happen by accident. You're not just gonna show up to church two or three times a month and then just automatically become a disciple. It doesn't work that way. It requires a commitment on your part. Now, I know we live in a society today that is commitment averse. We don't like commitment. How much is this gonna cost you? What's, it gonna, uh, what's gonna be expected of me? What am I getting into uh, before I, I start this process? Jesus makes it very clear what it's gonna cost you from the get-go. But it's not gonna happen by accident. He says, come, anybody that's gonna come after me. It requires intentionality. If you wanna be a disciple of Jesus, you gotta make an intentional decision yourself. I want to be a committed follower of Jesus. And I challenge you, if you wanna make 2020 one of the best years of your life, you need to commit today, intentionally. I want to be a committed follower of Jesus and everything that that entails. Now, it's gonna cost you something, and we'll talk about the cost of that in just a moment, but it requires, first of all, an intentional decision on our part. But here's the thing. You can only be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're a child of his, so it's only for those that are saved. Now, by default, all of us are unsaved when we're born into this world. The Bible says we're born into sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we cannot come to Jesus with our sin because Jesus was perfect. Jesus is holy. Jesus was without sin, and so we cannot come to him with our sin because sin always repels God. It always pushes God away. And so those that follow after Jesus have to be children of his. Well, how do you become a child of God? First thing you have to do is is understand you've broken God's law, you've sinned against God, and you're you're not uh, going to heaven because you're a good person, you're not going to heaven because of your religion, or you're not going to heaven because of your baptism. You're going to hell because of your sin, and you need to understand that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus says no man shall come unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. He's the only way you're gonna make it to heaven, but you by default will not get to heaven on your own. Hell is waiting for all those who have sinned against God. That's me, that's you. But the Bible says that God loves you so much, God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That Jesus died so that we don't have to go to hell, so that we don't have to carry the weight, the burden of our sin. And if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, friend, know this, you're in danger of God's judgment. The Bible says if whoever hath the Son hath life, that means eternal life, good forever in heaven, but he who hath not the Son hath not life, and it goes on to say this, and the wrath of God abides on him. Not only do you not have eternal life, God's wrath is coming for you in a place called hell. It's the worst news ever. 
But the good news is Jesus died in your place. God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, to pay for mine, so we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to endure God's wrath, so that we can be forgiven. But you gotta make that choice for yourself. There must be a time, a date, a place in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. I recognize I'm a sinner. I realize I need to be saved and I'm gonna ask God to forgive my sin and save me from my sin. If you've done that, the Bible says you're saved. Again, I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as savior. As a nine-year-old boy, I was born again. Again, I told you I didn't walk with Jesus until I was in my 20s, but I was saved at that moment. I became a child of God. I was adopted into God's family. And know this, if you decide that you wanna be a disciple of Christ, but you're not a follower of his, know this, if you're on a journey, you're on the wrong road. Think about it that way. If we're using the analogy that discipleship is a journey and the end goal is Christ's likeness, if you're not a child of God, you might be in a car on a road, but the road that you're going to leads to destruction. You're on the wrong path. It's not a matter of turning around and trying to do things better. It's a matter of today saying, I know that I'm wrong. I know that Jesus can save me and putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior today. And then you can begin a wonderful journey with Jesus day by day. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please do not leave here today until you know for sure that heaven's your home. It's not how to join our church. It's not how to be a Baptist. Nobody has to baptize you. You don't have to take a class. You need to sit down with another person who will show you the scriptures. It usually takes less than 10 minutes to show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Second best decision you'll ever make is being a committed follower of Jesus Christ. But it's important to understand just like all apostles were disciples, but not all disciples were apostles, all Christians, all those that are saved are not necessarily disciples either. Again, we started our journey of discipleship in our 20s. I got saved when I was nine. Now, if I died, heaven would have been my home. I was a child of God, but I wasn't committed to Jesus the way that I should. So just because you're saved doesn't automatically lump you into the category of being a disciple. You've got to make that decision for yourself. And Jesus has given us the criteria for that. Criteria for discipleship is determined by Jesus. I don't get to say whether or not you're a disciple. Jesus did. Jesus has clear-cut, defined terms on what it means to be a committed follower of his. He's going to tell you up front what it's going to cost you. I always like to know what I'm getting into with stuff. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I go to a place where they ask you to just sign on all the X's, I always stop and read what I'm signing. You know, you're in a car and they're like, oh, sign here, 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 and here. Okay, just give me a minute. No, no, no. The first line says you're declining the additional coverage. This is a declining roadside. No, no, stop. I'm going to read what I'm signing because I want to know what I'm getting into. By the same token, Jesus is not trying to hoodwink you into being a disciple. He's not trying to trick you so that you're like, oh no, I didn't know this is what it meant to be a disciple. No, he gives the criteria, he spells it out very, very clearly. And the criteria for being a disciple, it's non-negotiable. You don't get to come up with a plan B. There's not a half disciple program that we have. You're either committed follower of Christ or you're not. Simple as that. Many people would come to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, I wanna follow you. And they'd say, oh, I want to follow you, but I want to do it on my own terms. Hey, I, need, I want to follow you, but my dad just died and I need to bury him. Can you, can you give me a little while and I'll work that out? And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Come with me. He's like, oh, I can't. And Jesus said, okay. And here's what Jesus did. He just moved on. Rich young Luru came to Jesus and he says, hey, I want to follow you. Jesus says, sell everything you got and follow me. And he says, I can't, I got too much stuff. And Jesus said, okay. And you know what Jesus did? He just went on. So the criteria for discipleship is not negotiable. Either you're all in or you're all out. There's no, no half commitment to Christ. It's completely voluntary, though. Nobody's going to force you to do it. Jesus doesn't force anything on anyone. You either want to follow him or you don't. You either want to be committed to this or you don't. You either want to make this a kind of Sunday morning thing that you, you get to from time to time if the schedule's not too busy or something you're going to commit your life to. Choice is totally up to you. I'm going to lovingly encourage you as your pastor, because it's my job as your pastor. The word pastor literally means to shepherd, to guide. I'm going to guide you, greatly encourage you, even challenge you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in 2020. 
And if you're already a committed follower of Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to take a step up, to be more committed to him this year than you were last year. Because I know that's where the good stuff is found. So what's the criteria for discipleship? First, again, this is not my thoughts. These are Jesus' thoughts. Verse 34, whosoever will come after me, intentional decision on your part to come after Jesus. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Those are three criteria. First thing we have to do is deny ourselves. This is hard. You know why? Because we're selfish. To deny myself means I don't come in first place anymore. Truthfully, I don't come in second place anymore. Fact of the matter, I don't come in fourth, fifth, or sixth place anymore. Jesus is first and everything else comes before me because I've denied myself. This is not withholding something from yourself. This is not like, oh, I can never do X again. Well, I can never enjoy life again, or I can never have pepperoni pizza again, or I can never go hang out with those friends again. I can never do this again. That's how I'm gonna deny myself. It's not withholding something from yourself. This is how false religion gets started with the idea that if I withhold something uh, that's pleasurable for me, then it gets me closer to God. That's why you see false religion saying, oh, men can't marry because they're so holy. Uh, they only wanna take their pleasure in God. They shouldn't take pleasure in a woman. That's false religion. <laughs> the Bible says it's good for a man to marry. The Bible says that God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he gave him a woman to be with him. So the idea that withholding pleasure from ourselves gets us closer to God is, is a, a false idea. It's not withholding something for myself. It's the complete abandonment of yourself as the center of your life. <laughs> Here's what it means, friend. If you're gonna be a committed follower of Jesus Christ, it means this. It's gonna be a hard pill for you to swallow, but I'm gonna say it because I love you. It's not about you. It's not. What's well, not about me? Anything. Life isn't about you. It's about Jesus. This church, it's not about you and how much you like it and what you get from it, whether, whether it scratches your itch or not. It's about Jesus. Discipleship is not what good it does for you. It's about what glory it gives to our Savior, Jesus. Discipleship isn't about changing your behavior so your life will have greater quality. It's about changing your life so it matches more of Jesus's life. It's not about how I can benefit myself from following Jesus. It's how I can love and serve others and they can be benefited because I chose to serve Jesus. It flips everything upside down. That's why Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Because we've been programmed from birth that it's all about us. When a baby cries, we want to get it to be quiet. Why? Because we teach our children from a very young age, it's all about you. Your kid acts up in a restaurant like my kids do. <laughs> what happens? We give them what they want to get them to be quiet. And we found the easiest way to shut up a two-year-old, easiest way, hand them an electronic device, immediate silence at the table, immediate. But is that good parenting? Because we said, hey, if you want it, we'll give it to you. If this will get you to be quiet, we'll let you have it. But that doesn't go away as a child ages. That ain't go away for you or I. We get older and we cry until we get our way. And we do the same thing in our marriages. We do the same thing in our workplace. We cry and complain until we get our way because it's all about us. And then when we're frustrated with our job because they didn't pay us enough or we didn't get what we wanted or I didn't get the promotion I want, then I'm gonna leave and find somewhere else that does more for me and what I can get from it. And look, we're six and a half years old as a church. We've had dozens, if not 100 plus people leave our church because they didn't get what they wanted. We never sing my favorite song. I never get to do this. I never got to sing. Nobody ever asked me to play my instrument. Nobody ever asked me to be a part of this. And we had people leave because it wasn't about them. You don't have a five-year-old boys class on Sunday morning that's just for five-year-old boys. Sorry, we probably never will. You don't have a teen group of 50 to 60 teens that has their own teen room with uh, pinball machines and Xboxes. Yeah, we probably won't ever do that. And if that's what you need, then we'll never be the church for you. But I love it when people come and they say, hey, is there a place that I could serve? Is there a place where I could 
do something here in this church? Hey, do you have a job that I could do? Not, a, not to get paid, but just to, to serve. Because they realize it's not about them. And in your marriage, your marriage isn't about what you can get from your spouse. Your marriage is about how you can serve your spouse. How you can love and encourage your spouse. Not about you and what you can get from it. This life is not about what you can grab from it. It's about how you can invest in the lives of others to point them to our King Jesus. Denying yourself is a transfer of ownership of everything that you have. (laughs) My wife has a power of attorney for me. That means anything that she needs to sign, she can sign with my name, just as if I were signing it myself. It's a beautiful thing. I don't have to sign as much stuff anymore. Awesome. Here's the thing, though. She could completely and totally clean me out if she wanted to, right? She could open up credit cards in my name, new bank accounts in my name, transfer all my money out of that into wherever she wants to send it to. But you know why? What? I give her that because I trust her. I don't think she'd do that. And if she did it, I believe she'd have a really good reason for doing it. I trust her. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're giving Jesus not power of attorney, but full ownership. See, power of attorney I can take back anytime I want to. I can take back my stuff anytime I want to because I'm still in charge of it. Signing over to Jesus is not a power of attorney. It's full ownership. I'm signing the title of my life over to him. I'm signing the deed to everything that I own over to him to do with as he pleases. It's a complete transfer of ownership to deny myself. It's not about me anymore. Did you know that I don't own a car? Jesus owns a car and he lets me borrow it. I try to take really good care of it. I try to change my oil as often as I can. I try not to park next to people who are going to ding it. And I try not to park it next to the cart thing because it's Jesus' car and I want to take good care of it. It doesn't belong to me. Did you know that I have an incredible wife, but she doesn't belong to me. She belongs to Jesus, but I want to take really good care of her because she belongs to him. My kids, they're not my kids. They're Jesus' kids. I just get to take care of them. God's entrusted them to me. I don't own anything. Everything that I have. Did you know that this shirt that I have Jesus gave it to me, and it belongs to him. I don't own anything. It all belongs to Jesus now. And here's the thing. It always belonged to Jesus anyways, because the Bible says every good and every perfect gift that you have came from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The book of James tells you that. Everything that you had came from God anyways, but, but being a disciple of Jesus is recognizing the ownership of Christ in my life. I don't have anything. He has everything. I love it when people say, uh, oh yeah, I invited so-and-so to our church. That shows that they are locked, cocked, and ready to rock here at Who We Call About. I love that. I invited somebody to our church. That's a good thing, but, but at the end of the day, honestly, it's not our church, it's Jesus' church. Now, I still say it's our church. I'm not saying you're wrong to say that. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, Jesus owns everything because we don't own anything because we've denied ourselves, because we're committed followers of Christ. From here on out in our life, it's all about Jesus. Everything, everything in my life from here on out is all about Jesus. Christmas was awesome. I hope you had a great Christmas. I ate way too much fudge, way too much chocolate. I had way too many sweets. But you know what? At the end of the day, it was awesome just celebrating Jesus. Man, Jesus. Christmas morning, we got up, we had the the Christmas story from Luke 2. Jesus. Christmas Eve, we got together together here. We lit some candles. It was beautiful. We sang, sang Christmas songs together. Oh, man, I loved it. Christmas, all about Jesus, though. And let me just tell you this. You, you, might, you might be on the fence here. I like church. I don't mind coming to church. I don't mind even like, you know, trying to maybe even come to a Wednesday night group every now and then. That's fine. But I'm not ready to really jump in with both feet yet. I'm just kind of testing the waters a little bit. I'm just going to try it out for a little bit and see how it works for me. Let me just tell you this from experience. There's little to no satisfaction in a flippant, commitment to Christ. I'll say that again. There's little to no satisfaction in a flippant commitment to Christ. You're just going to do this halfway. You're just going to be disappointed. I just to let you know from the get-go. Now, again, Christ will never disappoint, but I'm saying if you have one foot in the, the church, one foot in walking with Jesus, and the other foot in the things of this world, you're just going to be disappointed because you're never going to reach your potential that God wants you to meet. And so it's a full commitment that Jesus asks. Maybe you're one of your 
New Year's goals that you have. We don't do New Year's resolutions around here because we get broken. We have New Year's goals. If you got a New Year's goal to get in better shape, maybe you made a commitment to go to a gym. Let me just tell you, if you go to the gym twice a month and you sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat Oreo cookies the rest of the month, you're going to be greatly disappointed with your success. Greatly disappointed. And let me just tell you, you show up to church here twice a month and you're out living in the world for the other 29 days out of the month, you're going to be greatly disappointed with what you find. That's why Jesus wants you to make a full commitment. Not because he's greedy, because he knows what's best for you. And that's what discipleship is about, denying yourself. Second thing he says, take up your cross. This phrase has been unfortunately misunderstood. People say, oh, I've got a difficult job. That's just my cross to bear. I, I, I commute every day from the west side into town at you know, 6 a.m., that's my cross to bear. That as, as if some difficult circumstance you have in life is considered your cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. You see, in biblical times, crucifixion was one of the most, first of all, embarrassing and humiliating ways one could die. Secondly, it was the most painful way that one could die. Thirdly, it was one of the most public ways that one could die. Humiliating, painful, public. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, what were crosses used for? One thing and one thing only. What? Death. Execution. That was it. So it doesn't mean some burden that you have to bear on a daily basis. It means you need to die to yourself. Take up your cross. Death to self. This is a regular, habitual, humble death to self. That means Anthony has to die. Not just once or twice. Again, not something I get to check off my to-do list and it's done. I have to die every single day. Now, it makes it easier to die because I've already denied myself, right? I've already set myself not in first place anymore. The universe doesn't revolve around me. I'm not the center of everything that is in existence. I've already denied myself, so now I need to die to myself Interesting, Jesus doesn't just tell us to die. He asks us to take up our cross. There was no dignified death on a cross at all. We often see pictures of Jesus Christ being crucified, uh, and, and most artist depictions of the crucifixion are embarrassing. Lily white, beautiful Jesus, small, skinny, emaciated, with one trickle of blood coming down of his side, some sad look on his face with the crown of thorns with a little bit of blood around there. The Bible says that he, his, his visage was marred so badly that you couldn't even tell it was a man. He was beaten and tortured so much that you couldn't even recognize that this was an actual human being. Oftentimes, artist depictions will have him with a loincloth wrapped around his, uh, his waist. Roman executioners wouldn't have been so dignified as to give him a loincloth. He would have been crucified naked like everyone else was. Humiliating, embarrassing, public, painful. Jesus says, I need you to die the same way. You see, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't have any undercover disciples. I'm really committed to Jesus, but nobody knows. No, it's all on display. You know why? Because my death to self has to be public. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's all about Jesus. And I'm willing to put Jesus on display. I'm willing to put my death to self on display so that other people can be drawn to Christ. Jesus has no proud, self-centered disciples where it's all about them, where it's all about, about how good their life is. No, no, no. That's why I absolutely abhor 98%, 98 98.5% of television preachers. I don't know where the one and a half percent are that I like, but I'm sure they're probably out there somewhere. But the idea that, that Jesus died to have a flashy lifestyle or, or expensive jewelry on display or a flashy car or a private jet or something like that, that's just garbage. It's false religion. It's the opposite of being a disciple of Christ. No, no, no. Jesus has no self-centered, proud disciples. Jesus has no undercover, quiet disciples. He has committed followers who are willing to stand up for what they believe in because it matters to them. So this death to self has to be a daily practice. I have to wake up every single day and put Anthony King to death. 
Jesus in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 29, Luke records it this way. He said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Mark just says, take up your cross. Luke actually records it. Might have been a different saying. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. It's not something I get to do one time. It's a habitual daily ritual that I do of putting myself to the side and focusing on Jesus. You say, do you do that every day? Every single day. I wake up in the morning, my time in prayer, I say, God, it's not about me today, it's about you. I don't want people to see Anthony today, I want people to see Jesus today. I don't want what I want, I want what you want. It's a death to self, self-denial every single day. That's what it means to take up your cross. It's interesting, he says, take it up. That means we gotta take it with us everywhere we go. That when something at work doesn't go your way, you gotta say, hey, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I'm taking my cross with me to work. And if I need to die to self at work, I'm willing to die to self at work because it's not about me. I gotta take my cross home with me at night because when something happens and my spouse says something that, doesn't, that rubs me the wrong way, I need to say, hey, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. I wanna put my spouse first and love her. My kids are out of control. I don't know if your kids are, but my kids get out of control sometimes. I have to understand that me putting them down is not putting them in their place because they're frustrating me or getting on my nerves or they're too loud while I'm trying to watch TV. No, I want to help them to be like Jesus. And I want to teach my kids about love and respect and honoring other people and preferring one another. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And I want to help my kids be more like Jesus. That's discipleship in your home. But I have to die to self. Death to self will be difficult, painful, and slow at times. Again, this is not something, again, you're gonna be awake up, able to wake up tomorrow morning and just have died to self and it's over and done with. Again, it's a daily thing that we have to go through and it might be painful. Hey, you might have to give up some things to be a follower of Jesus. You might have to stop drinking alcohol to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And let me just help you as a pastor, if you could sit in my seat for one week and see the, th- the carnage that alcohol brings you have a very difficult time saying that it's God's gift to the church. I, I, I don't buy it. You'll never be able to sell that to me. Maybe you need to give up. I know you need to give up pornography. It's wrecking, ruining your brain. It's ruining your life. If you're married, it's ruining your marriage. If you're gonna be married one day, it's ruining your future marriage. There's nothing good that comes from pornography at all. You need to give it up to be a committed follower of Jesus. It'll be the best thing you ever did. Maybe you need to give up materialism. Maybe you need to give up self-centeredness. Maybe you need to give up gossip. Maybe you need to give up a crummy attitude. Maybe you just need to stop being so selfish. And this is not a, being, me being critical of you. This is me speaking from a guy who, from experience who has lived a very selfish life at times and been very self-centered and self-absorbed at times. And let me tell you this, there's no joy found there. The greatest joy of my life is serving Jesus and serving other people. And the same could be true for you. So deny yourself, take up your cross, finally, follow Jesus. Verse 34, it's all there. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Important thing though is if we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to know where he's going. To follow Jesus, we have to follow his leading. I don't don't know where Jesus is taking this thing. Great, just follow one day at a time. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse number 10, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Hey, if you wanna follow Jesus, just follow his leading. And again, you don't need to know where you're gonna be at 10 years from now. You need to know where you're gonna be at 12 hours from now. You need to make a decision when you wake up tomorrow. I'm gonna walk with Jesus today. I don't care what anybody else does. I choose to walk with Jesus. I don't care if my spouse does or not. I don't wanna encourage them to, but if they don't, I choose to walk with Jesus. Some of the the strongest Christians I've seen are Christians who have decided to follow Jesus even though their spouse isn't going to. They're just here, faithful, week after week, loving Jesus, serving Jesus. And here's the great part. Sometimes the spouse catches up. Sometimes they don't. But at the end of the day, I can't allow my commitment to Jesus Christ to be crippled by my commitment to another person. And again, I'm not saying you should leave your spouse because they're not following Jesus. I'm telling you this. Follow Jesus and hopefully your spouse will follow. Peter even says that if your ladies have an unsaved husband, 
best thing to do is just continue to walk with Jesus and show them the love of Jesus that maybe one day they'll get saved because of your testimony. Fellas, I want to challenge you with this. You need to be the spiritual leader in your home. There are far too many families in America for sure, maybe in our church, that we go to church because mama says we go to church. We're going to pray before dinner because mama says we pray before dinner. We're going to go on a Wednesday night to connect group because mama says we should go to... Stop that. We're going to be in church because the leader of our home, the husband, the father, says our family needs this and I'm going to show you how it's done. That's biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is not me calling the shots, not me saying, well, we're having spaghetti and, and garlic bread for dinner tonight. That's not biblical headship. Biblical headship is... I'm going to lead us to follow Jesus. I'm going to be the one that shows you how it's done. I'm going to make sure that we pray before bedtime. I'm going to make sure that we pray before our meals. I'm going to make sure that we're in church on Sunday. I'm going to ask my kids how their lesson was and what they learned. <laughs> my daughter one time picked her up from Super Church. We're on our way to, uh, to lunch together, and I said, hey, sweetheart, what did you learn in your class today? Uh, we talked about Jesus. Good. What about him? Well, here's the thing. We didn't really have a lesson today. We just kind of like uh, talked a lot. Really? Okay, I'll talk to Miss Buffy about that, and she won't have a job for very long. Okay, okay, she taught a lesson. I just don't remember what it was. <laughs> now the truth comes out. Okay, great. Um, but here's the thing. Who needs to have that conversation? Dads do. And I'm thankful for every godly mom who picks up the slack. I'm thankful for every, every godly wife that encourages her husband to be in church. But fellas, that can't be the case. We have to lead and lead well. The guide for our journey, the entire journey of discipleship is the Holy Spirit. I have to follow Jesus by following the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, the Bible says the moment that you got saved, the Holy Spirit came, took up residence in your life. And the Holy Spirit works hand in hand with your conscience to lead you, to guide you into all truth, Jesus said. John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Holy Spirit inside of me is gonna remind me of what Jesus said. Remind me of what my obligations are to be a committed follower of Christ. Remind me that I've chosen to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. And he's gonna be my guide for this journey. Final thought here this morning, the fruit of the life of discipleship is what you're looking for. I know you think in the new year you want to lose 20 pounds, and maybe you should. I don't know. I know you think you want to read, you know, 10 books. Maybe you should. I don't know. I know you want to, you know, take the kids to the park more. Good. Maybe you should. I don't know. Maybe you want to finish that degree that you've been working on. Maybe you should. I don't know. But here's what I do know. What your heart really craves is to be connected with Jesus on a level that you've never experience before being in a close deep intimate relationship with Jesus is everything that your heart craves the satisfaction that you desire will be found only in Jesus it's been said before that we all have a, a Jesus shaped hole in our heart we try to fill it with the things of this world we find that education or money or status doesn't fill that only Jesus can fill that hole I'm telling you this commitment to Christ is the thing that your heart craves. It's where joy is found. It's where hope is found. It's where peace is found. Look, you'll never regret following Jesus. I promise you. You say, well, I know a bunch of Christians that used to follow Jesus and, and they, they got really disappointed. I've seen people get disappointed with religion. I've seen people get disappointed with religious structures. I've seen people get disappointed with other church members or pastors or things like that. I have never met anybody who's been disappointed with Jesus. You say, oh no, I know somebody who was really disappointed with Jesus because their, their mom had cancer and they passed away and they got really mad at God. They never understood who God was to begin with. Again, if you think that God's just a, a, a genie that you rub and tell him what you want and he gives it to you, you don't understand who God is. And if you think Jesus exists to make your life better or to give you a bigger house or a nicer car or to help your kids get straight A's, you don't understand who Jesus is. And you will be disappointed, but you're not disappointed in Jesus. You're disappointed in the idea that you had of who Jesus was. Because you really know who Jesus is, you'll never be disappointed with that. 
Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's that beautiful word saved again. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. This is how you get saved. You believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You confess your sin with your mouth to God, and you're saved. And here's what verse number 11 says. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That phrase ashamed could also be translated with the word uh, disappointed. And that's what I love about Jesus. If you really believe on Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. If you really put your faith in him, you'll never be disappointed. Best decision Angela and I ever made in our entire life was committing to follow Jesus. Was committing to that process of discipleship with Pat and Jane Smith who took us under their wing and loved us and encouraged us and helped us. Best decision we ever made. You know what? It made our marriage better. It made our kids better. It made our joy in Christ better. It made my Bible reading better. It made my love for other people better. And that process of desiring to be more like Christ and knowing Christ and making him known one day caused Angela and I to feel that God was leading us to a city in the middle of the ocean to plant a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church so that other people could know the joy that we found in Jesus. And that's why we're here today, folks. Discipleship. I'm telling you this, I've had a lot of disappointments in my life, but Jesus has never been one of them, ever. Because being a disciple of Jesus, this is a good life. Being a disciple of Jesus is the good life. Does it mean that everything's perfect? No way. But it means that everything is in God's plan. Does it mean that you don't have problems? No, I got problems like you wouldn't believe. If you can see the email messages and the text messages I get on a weekly basis, you realize I got more problems than I know what to do with. But I know this, God's in charge and he's able I know this, as long as I follow him, he's promised to work everything out. I know that as I put my faith and trust in him, he'll never disappoint. Psalm 1611, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. That will show me the path of life and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. You know where the good life is found? It's found with Jesus. That's where it's found. So what do you need to do? What's your next step? Every single person has a next step for this new year. What is it? Maybe for some of you, you need to get saved today. You don't know for sure if you died today, heaven's your home. And maybe you need to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and I put my faith and trust in him. Today is my savior. If you haven't made that step, today is your day. You can't go any further until you do that. Maybe you just need to be committed to regular church attendance. Again, the whole once or twice a month thing isn't really working out for you. Maybe you just need to commit to being here more often. We have a Sunday morning service. Our Sunday evening service is different. We have a uh, Tuesday night group that meets on uh, the Windward side. We have a uh, Wednesday night connect group here, small group Bible study for you. We have a a Wednesday night uh, Bible program for your kids on Wednesday nights. If you're a single adult, we have a Bible study that meets for you on Friday nights. On on Saturday mornings, we meet here and we go out to our community and talk to people about Jesus. Look, there's seven or eight opportunities for you to hear from God's word and be around other Christians this week. Maybe you just need to commit to being a part of that. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've been saved, but you've never made a commitment to Jesus publicly and said, I am committing to follow Jesus. It's part of the Great Commission. Go win, baptize, teach. And if you're not willing to publicly say, I am a follower of Jesus by being baptized, then you might question your commitment to being a disciple. It's part of the process. Maybe you need to commit to discipleship. Maybe you need to grow more in your faith. You need to sign up for that uh, discipleship program coming up on uh, February 5th. Say, I want to know more about the Bible. I want to learn more. I want to be more committed in my faith. I want someone to guide me and teach me. Maybe you need to be a church member. Church membership is a commitment to the core values and living out the core values of this church in your life every single day. Our core values can always be found on our front door. Love, pray, give, serve, invest. You know what that is? It's the life of Jesus. He loved, he prayed, he gave, he served, he invested his life. And church members are the ones who say, I'm willing to commit my life to that for as long as God gives me here at who we call a Baptist church. We have two men that are joining our church today. <laughs> you'll see them today. We're gonna have a word of prayer for them and you'll see them the next few weeks getting to work. Thankful Jody joined our church last uh, Sunday, Jody Rodriguez. He came and says, I wanna be a church member. He heard what it meant to be a church member. He says, I'm committed to love, pray, give, serve, invest. But I seen him on the way into church this Sunday morning, hanging out in the front, greeting people as they came to church. And why? Because he's committed to this. 
hey, look, we're not going to put some guy out front that may not be here six weeks from now who's flipping in his commitment. We're not going to have somebody teaching your kids on a Sunday morning that reeks of alcohol. We're not going to have somebody in watching your kids that you've never seen before in your life. No, no, no. Church members are the ones that are locked and loaded, fully committed, willing to serve Jesus at all costs because they've committed to a life of discipleship. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you need to be part of a small group so that you can get the accountability, seeing the same people week after week praying and, and, and bearing one another's burdens the way the Bible tells us to. Hey, maybe you need to start giving regularly. The Bible commands us to give 10% of all that we have to the Lord through our tithes. And we get to give above that in our free will grace offerings. Maybe you need to start tithing because God hasn't been a priority in your finances. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe it's Bible reading. Maybe you need a Bible reading plan for the new year. And maybe you don't need to try to read the whole Bible in three months. Maybe you just need to read a proverb a day. Start somewhere and grow from there. Maybe you need to pray more. I don't know, but I know this. All of us, myself included, we gotta grow this year. Because we never just coast. You ever figure that out in life? We always fall off. That's why we gotta be intentional about pursuing Christ. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, you're not 100% sure if you died today, heaven's your home, please understand this. Jesus died for your sins because he loves you. He's the only way to heaven. If you think for a split second that just by being a better person or attending church every now and then we'll get you to heaven, you've missed it. The only way is faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never made that decision, today's your opportunity to be saved. But if you are a child of God, you need to ask yourself this question. What is it for 2020 for me? What am I shooting for for Christ's likeness? What changes do I need to make to be more like Jesus this year? And if you ask that question and really look for the answer, I guarantee you'll find it. Let's pursue Christ this year like never before. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.